Welcome to Calvary Temple Church Podcast. Thank you for listening today. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, please consider doing so. You'll find reference scripture and discussion questions for this sermon in the episode description. We hope this encourages you in your spiritual growth. Apparently we're having some trouble with my mic, so I'll go ahead with this one and uh, we'll see how I do. It's kind of like getting one hand tied behind my back. And, uh, you know, since we've been online, uh, somebody was teasing me the other day, and they said, Pastor, they said, it's like somebody nailed your shoes down to the platform because I'm one of those people that's all over, but I've had to kind of tone that down a little bit to be here and stay with where we can work with the camera and all. But thank the Lord. We've been looking at this area of following Jesus. And we've been sharing this theme for for some time. One of the things that when I look at in the lives of people following Jesus is they're pushing or or, uh, the way that they're following, what they're learning in following the Lord. Micah, I need a little more in this. Thank you. Uh, While they're being able to... uh, Follow the Lord, how they're growing and how they're developing. One of the things that Jesus does in our lives, and you know, in that day, in our day, wherever you go, it seems like people start getting into this, I'll call it a trap, but to this place where we start comparing ourselves with others. And the disciples, even as they're following the Lord, They're jostling quite often among themselves about who's closer to Jesus, who's better, who's greater, and on and on. I remember when I was a kid, uh, and for you, though, I think probably if you're under 40, you may not recognize this, but when I was a kid, they used to have these commercials on TV for dogs. And uh, these people would come on and they would be going, My dog's greater my dog's better than your dog because my dog eats apple you know and even back then we had these commercials about what makes somebody better than another it's been going on with with, with people and with things for probably as long as we can remember but i want to ask the question what makes a life truly great in our world around us the tendency is to think that we, we, we associate greatness with a few people. Uh, they do great deeds or, or, or things like that, or they have great power uh, over others and ability to things, or they're people with a lot of recognition and on and on in their lives. But people, greatness in God's kingdom isn't like that. That's not what brings greatness in God's kingdom. It's not a matter of of gaining human power or recognition, but of getting God's recognition, of getting God's approval. And then the beauty of that is it's not limited to just a few people. It's available to all of us to be able to seek the Lord and have His approval in our lives. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark today. Chapter 9 again. And in verse, in verse 30, it says they, meaning the disciples, uh, they left that place where, where the disciples had been ministering and all, and they passed through Galilee. 
And Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He wanted that personal time with them. And he said to them, the Son of Man's going to be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. See, there it is. They're arguing about among themselves of who's the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome or whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. You know, if we really want to understand this passage, we have to see what's going on right before it and after it. The context that Mark places this in to try to really understand what Jesus is saying here. Because here are these disciples, you know, uh, they've been arguing among themselves. And, and Jesus, this is the second time in this place where Jesus now has begun to teach them that he needs to go to the cross. You remember the, a week ago we were talking about that Jesus talking about it's not just going to be immediately the kingdom established and all the glory of God come, but there's a path of suffering to walk. And Jesus simply in that point told him that he must, he must be rejected. He must be killed. He must rise again on the third day. He didn't give them any details or go beyond that. But now in this second time of Jesus' teaching, he adds one more detail. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. But he's again laying out to them that the Son of Man, the Son of God, is going to be killed. And they're quiet. They don't get this. They don't understand this. But they're arguing among themselves. They've got a different picture. Well, prior to this, you remember we looked at last week that Jesus, after teaching about this, has been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He left the nine disciples down in the valley. But he took three, James, John, and Peter, with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was one of the most amazing things because they got to see and taste and get a glimpse of the glory of God. They began to see Jesus in His glory that He had with the Father before He took on incarnation and stepped into this world. I mean, they're walking off that. Moses was there with them. Elijah was there with them. It was one of the most incredible moments. There are no words. They come down off the mount. And that's what's interesting. Verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet them. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. This is so interesting. They, we've got this contrast. There's the glory of God on the mountain. And there's an argument going on in the valley. Now think about that. 
Here's these disciples. Jesus has left these nine behind, taken the other three up in the mountain. But when they come down, they find these nine in a heated argument with the religious leaders. And I mean, it is, you can almost see the sparks flying. And these disciples are arguing about Jesus and, and, and all this going on and the religious leaders who their theology could probably outwit these disciples and they're going back and forth and they were there to put them down and put them in a difficult place. And Jesus asked what's going on. You can almost see the disciples are kind of hesitant to answer. No one else is stepping up, but suddenly... That there's a man there, and notice this, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. It's interesting. Jesus is saying, what are you arguing about? And their their people are looking at one another, and this man jumps up and jumps into it. He doesn't care about all that argument. He wants Jesus. Jesus is here, and he says, "Let me tell you what the need is. I brought my son here to get delivered. He's bound by by Satan. He's bound by his spirit." This spirit has been horrible in his life, and I brought him here to your disciples to cast the demon out, and they couldn't. Rather than, than, than ministering and seeing that demon being cast out, these disciples end up in a heated argument with the religious leaders. We don't know what that was all about, but it's likely that these religious leaders now are, are, are taking advantage of the situation with these disciples and accusing them and accusing them of their lackluster and, and, and what kind of disciples are they and who is this Jesus and on and on. And they're just going back and forth and they're arguing for Jesus, you can see, but they just aren't getting anywhere. But when Jesus steps down, it's like the crowd is drawn. They're attracted, and they look over there. And they begin to move it, move his way. And Jesus asks, what's going on? People, there's a lesson here. They're all attracted to Jesus. Arguments don't persuade people. They usually reinforce our own opinions. And the more we argue, the more heated it gets, the more disagreeable we become. But Jesus attracts people. We would do well to remember this. So often we want to get caught up in all the arguments and winning arguments. We don't win that way. We need to show the attraction of Jesus. Wow. I remember before I came to Christ when I was looking for Jesus or looking for meaning in my life. And I met these young believers and, they, and I used to categorize people. I wasn't any different than others. I was back then, and I was what I called, back then we called ourselves freaks. We were into drugs and partying and all of that. And we had the straights. They didn't do anything, you know. We had those, they were like we had the jocks, the athletes, and all of those things. And we had, the, you know, you, we had all these categories for people. And I remember one day, the home of one of these believers, I saw three of these young guys together. 
One clearly had been a hippie around town. One had been one of those traits. One was an athlete. You could kind of see this with them in their backgrounds. And they're just loving one another. They got their, their, their around a little New Testament, and they're just talking and sharing. And the love that was flowing between them. And I thought, I don't get this. I don't get these people. But I was attracted to what I saw. And that day, these disciples, you know, are down there arguing, but the people see Jesus. It's like, forget that. And they're just attracted to run over to where Jesus is. That's the way it ought to be, people. But notice Jesus is frustrated with the disciples. He says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus is like, when are you guys going to get this? And looking at them. But you know the beauty of it is? Jesus doesn't give up on his disciples. And that's encouraging for you and I. The people, we struggle to understand who he is. And yes, sometimes Jesus is likely frustrated with the church. When are we going to get him? When are we going to understand him more? But the beauty of it is, Jesus doesn't give up on his people. He loves us. He's for us. He wants us to learn and to grow and to know him more. Well, then Jesus falls into this conversation with the Father, and he asks the Father, he said, how long has he been like this? It's not that Jesus probably didn't know, but he's bringing this out to show how serious, how severe the, the situation is. And this Father, you can just see the love of this Father pouring out. And he looks, he looks at Jesus, and he said he's been like that since a child. Probably a, a teenager, or maybe even early 20s at this point, but probably a teenager. Been this way for years, possessed by this demon. And it just comes on him. And if there's fire, it's like it throws him into it. If it's water, it throws him into it. Can you imagine what this father's living with all the time, watching for his son, that that demon doesn't kill him? Goes in the fire and he grabs him, he pulls him out. He goes in the water and he grabs him and he pulls him out. And there's these convulsions going on and all of this. And it's nothing but a demonic thing that has taken this, this young boy's life and, and held him there for all these years. This father is it just he just desperate. And he looks at Jesus. He doesn't know if Jesus can help him or not. He's brought him to the disciples. They couldn't. Is there any hope for my boy? And Jesus, and this man looks at Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, help us. People, we live in a world with a lot of cries of children and people that are looking around and they're saying, if you can do anything to help us, please help us. May the Lord help us to see and not ignore people. There are all kinds of children. There are all kinds of parents concerned for their children. There are all kinds of adults that the cry of their heart, is there any help for me? Is there anything that can be done? And Jesus says, if you can. Dr. Wood's commentary on Mark is marvelous. So much of what I share today are a lot of the thoughts that he's given. I would encourage you, if you can, to get that. But Jesus says, if you can, 
Everything's possible for him who believes. This is Jesus. This is the one who's already been on the other side of glory, who knows the place where there's no suffering, there's no pain, there's no sin, there's no bondage. Jesus has walked from that place of glory into this earth, and he's saying, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. He reaches out to him. Wow. Jesus is saying, put your trust in me. You know, this man looks at Jesus and he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The very fact that this man says, is there anything you can do? And I believe it helped my unbelief. People, there are too many people that jump on this, that call themselves believers, and and they criticize. They criticize this man. They criticize his father's small faith. And they begin to look at him and they'll say things like, well, you know, and they say it wrongly. Well, if you pray or you ask God for something and you have any doubt at all, you won't get it. And they blame and heap this blame and guilt on people for not receiving. That's not God. This father was honest. He says, Lord, I do believe, but he's desperate. He loves his son. He's hoping, he's hoping against everything for some kind of answer. And he says, Lord, I believe, but honestly, I'm still struggling. I've got some areas of unbelief. You know, that's an honest answer with the Lord. Jesus doesn't ask us to have perfect faith before he'll help us. He asks us to put what faith we have in him and watch him work. It's not about how much faith I have. It's not about how wonderful I am or how my theology is all right. It's simply look to Jesus and say, I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm coming to you. I need your help. And people, we have a God who steps into those places with His encouragement and His love, and He helps us and He meets us. While all of this conversation's going on, people are starting to run there now. And Jesus was never a grandstander. He never was trying to get the big crowd, go, wait a minute, wait a minute, no more miracles, we're going to wait, we need more people, more people, come on in, Uh, no more, 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 okay, now we'll do the miracle. Jesus never operated that way, never. There are some today that do, it's sad. Jesus was simply about meeting the needs of people. Wow. While these people are running and flocking, Jesus looks at that, that young man and he casts that demon out, commands it to go out and never return. Never in the Scriptures do you ever see Jesus allowing or sending a demon into people. He always calls them out. And he got delivered that day, and he got totally delivered. He got set free. But when that demon left, it shook him. He fell to the ground. He went down. He looked like he was dead because he was just lifeless. He was motionless. But people, he was never more free than in that moment when he was on the ground because now he's not under the power of Satan. And what did Jesus do? He goes over and he picks him up. He lifts him up. I'm so thankful today that the devil cast people down, but Jesus lifts us up. Isn't that cool? Jesus lifts us up. Well, the disciples didn't have the power to cast the demon out. 
They get back with Jesus and they say, why couldn't we? You know, when we have questions, it's good to go to Jesus and talk to Him. And Jesus' answer is this kind can come out only by prayer. What's Jesus saying here? You know, now, now back up. Remember when Jesus and His disciples came down off the mountain, these disciples are arguing with, the, with these religious leaders. Argument and prayer are incompatible. When we get our hearts filled with arguing and going back and forth and proving our, our point and on it, wow. But think about these disciples. You know, it's not easy to be excluded. These nine had been left down in the valley. And Jesus had left them there while He took the other three up on the mountain. These nine, they didn't know why Jesus took them up on the mountain and why they didn't get asked to come, but they were still being faithful. God has His purposes in our lives. I can't explain why some get a real taste of glory and others are left, it seems like, to do the hard work and to face the difficulties and work through things. I can't explain that, but we have a sovereign God that we can trust. But wherever we are, if we're down in the valley and we're working hard for the Lord, know this, Jesus is still going to show up. He's going to help us. He stepped down into that place where these disciples were. It's amazing. Got to give them credit. They're arguing passionately, but Jesus is saying, it's not the way. And Jesus said, you need to be praying. How often do we as believers get so busy with the work of the Lord and the things of life that we neglect to pray? Wow. That's where our spiritual strength is at. It's in spending time with the Lord. Our ability to minister comes out of spending time with Jesus. He's calling these disciples to pray. So Jesus, again, goes on, and as we mentioned in the first passage here, He continued to teach His disciples about His death, upcoming death and resurrection. And then He asked them, what were you arguing about? And it was, who's greatest in the kingdom? You know, I can imagine it got really quiet when Jesus asked that question. They were embarrassed. But, and it's probably a natural thing. We had three that had been getting the blessings of the Lord. They didn't tell those other disciples what happened on the mount. They weren't allowed to yet. But they were also the ones that had gone in with Jairus. Remember when his little girl was raised. They were that inner circle with Jesus, James, Peter, John. They were getting things that even the others weren't. And it would be easy. The Scriptures doesn't say this, but there's almost an inference here that possibly there's some jealousy on their part. Why are they getting to do those things and, and we're not? And you can almost see these three. We're greater than you. We're getting more blessings of God. You know, we're closer to Jesus. We're, you know, we're getting in on these special things. How often we begin to measure our own greatness by our blessings. People, that's not the right measurement. It's not. It doesn't make us more spiritual or greater than anyone else. It doesn't. We just need to go after Jesus. And so Jesus takes this little boy in his arms 
holds him, this little child. And he says, whoever welcomes one of these children, my name welcomes me. But they're also welcoming the father. The greatest one, he said, in the kingdom has to be the last, the servant of all. I love that kid's song out of Maranatha a number of years ago. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. If we want to be first, Jesus is saying, take care of the needs of others. We need to replace our pride with humility. We need to replace and put away arrogance with a servant's heart. You know, it's been suggested that when Jesus took this little boy in his arms, he's not just saying to them, you need to be like a little child. But what he's saying is, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to take care of the least, the overlooked, those who uh, don't have position or wealth or title or office in this world. Take care of them. That's greatness in the kingdom. And maybe, Dr. Wood suggested, I think he's right, that when Jesus held that little child in his arm, he's saying, take care of the next generation. Pour into the next generation. Wow. It's a church, people. We need to care about the next generation. We need to reach kids. We need to reach young parents. We need to pour into them to know about Jesus. Amen? Well, I know our time is running. I have a lot more I want to share, but let me highlight a couple things. I just mentioned these other passages. But after this, the disciples said, you know, there's somebody over here that's casting out demons in your name. They're not with us, so we told them to stop it. Stop it. And Jesus said, listen, I love how he puts that here. He says, no one who does a miracle my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Whoever's not against us is for us. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is for us. Wow. Or excuse me, if we're for Jesus, that's what I'm trying to say here then we're on the same team. Exclusivity doesn't have any place in the kingdom of God. It's really sad. It really bothers my heart. When I begin to hear people, we start comparing different pastors, different churches. This one's better. This one's, you know, we're more spiritual than them. We, we, we have this going on. We're a lot. Do you know what that makes the Lord want to do? I don't think I need to say. He doesn't like it. If we are pro proclaiming Jesus, we're on the same team. And let's link arms and win our world to Jesus. We're not all going to agree on every point, but if we get the essentials of Jesus, we're on the same team. Amen? Praise the Lord. And the last thing that Jesus says in this chapter, 42 through 50, he said, don't cause offense to another believer. Don't live in such a way that we cause someone else to stumble or be hurt or miss out 
on Jesus. And he says, it's interesting, he says we can lose our saltiness. The salt taken from around the Dead Sea region had the ability to lose its savor. It's hard for us to comprehend salt because it just stays salty for us. But the salt Jesus was talking about could lose its savor. And it would become worthless. And Jesus is saying, we need to keep our savor. We need to keep the flavor of Jesus in our lives. Be attractive to others. Amen? Attract people to Jesus. Our lives need to be filled with prayer going after the Lord. Our lives need to seek Him. Let's not be arrogant or comparing ourselves with other people or think we're so much better. Let's not try to be exclusive. Let's have a way that includes others. There's more I'd like to share, but I think I'm going to wrap up with that for today. People, greatness in God's kingdom is about learning to be a servant. And we'll get over at the end of Mark 10.45 when Jesus says, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for all. People, our greatness isn't how much you know, we're over others or whatever else. It's about how well we serve, how well we reflect Jesus, how well we come and meet the needs of other people. You and I are called to go into this world and preach the gospel. That's our calling. And we need to be full of the Lord. Stay in prayer. Stay close to Him. Stay in His Word. And when we encounter people, the Lord will give us the insight for how to speak in their lives and minister Jesus. Don't get caught up in all the arguing. Don't get down that road. Stay sweet. Stay salty. And let's share Jesus. Amen? If you're worth watching with us today and those who are here, I want to pray with us today. If you have questions about Jesus, we would love to be able to follow up. Check us out on the web. But I want to pray with those, and then we're going to continue here in a few moments. Father, thank you that what you measure greatness is not like the world. Lord, in you, the more we become like Jesus and take on your character, the more we love, the closer we stay to you. Lord, you want to use us. You want to teach us. You call those disciples to be with yourself, and then you sent them out to minister. Lord, help us to be close to you, full of your spirit. And Lord, then go out and minister Jesus in a world that's broken and hurting. Lord, you'll give us direction. Father, touch those who are listening today. Those who are looking for answers in you, let them see that answers in Jesus. Lord, if we, you are able to forgive our sins, make us a new person because of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Check us out. We want to help you. Follow up if you have questions about Jesus. We want to be able to share with you. God bless.